Hello, I'm Lucia Giftapulu, and I'm joined today by James Methurst, a regulatory partner at law firm Freshfields. And we're going to talk about a potential UK-EU uh, deal for the financial services. Brussels and Britain issued a political declaration at the beginning of the year saying that they will reach some type of agreement by March. Should we be expecting a deal in, in two months' time? That, that, that's right, Lukia. I mean, um, this was a declaration which was uh, annexed to the Trade and Cooperation Agreement, um, which um, is it's a very short declaration. Um, and what it effectively says is it, it holds out the prospect for the UK and the EU to agree cooperation arrangements in relation to financial services. The agreement that's referred to in that declaration is, is a memorandum of understanding um, which will set out how the UK and the EU will deal with each other in relation to um, the transparency of decisions and processes around um, various matters, including, importantly, equivalence decisions. However, I think it's important to understand that this um, agreement, if you like, to, to um, negotiate a memorandum of understanding is certainly not an agreement to reach equivalent decisions or to grant market access from uh, the UK to the EU or vice versa. It's an agreement to, to reach an, a memorandum of understanding around how the parties will deal with each other. So if I understand this correctly, this is going to just set the framework in which discussions will will be held and, and a way forward will be found. And we should not be expecting an inclusive, definitive deal by March. Correct. That's exactly right. So, so the memorandum of understanding may govern matters, for example, around if either the UK or the EU is proposing to make an equivalence decision in respect of the other, then what the process will be for that. So some tra transparency around um, the progress of that process, for example. And equally, once equivalence decisions have been made, um, then that memorandum of understanding uh, may well govern transparency around um, decisions to remove or revoke that equivalence decision. So, sorry so it's to, really sorry about to, process. Sorry to interrupt for a minute. I think it's very important to explain what equivalence decisions are, uh, because it's, it's, it's kind of a jargony phrase used quite a lot. I'm not sure that everybody's fully aware of what it actually means. So uh, what, what is an equivalence decision? Sure, it's a very good um, point. Within European Union financial services legislation, um, there is this concept of equivalence. Uh, and what that effectively means is that if the European Commission uh, makes a decision that a third country, i.e. a non-EU country, um, has an equivalent uh, regulatory regime to that in the EU, uh, then it will make an equivalence decision. Uh, and that equivalence decision then generally uh, allows certain other um, things to occur. Um, for example, the ability for firms to access the EU single market where they are based in an equivalent jurisdiction. Now, this is not a single decision that is made and applies across the financial services industry. There are a whole range of different equivalence determinations dealing with um, specific elements of the financial services regulatory framework. So I think there are, um, you know, there are 40 odd areas where you can have equivalence decisions being made. Um, some of them give market access. Some of them give 
um, equivalent uh, uh, regulatory capital treatment, for example, to so, so this is more of a frag fragmented, fragmented approach to access. So the the if the the UK and the EU come out in March and say, oh, you know, we have some equivalence decisions or what? That would mean that only specific parts of the financial markets of, of the UK financial markets will be able to access the EU and serve customers there. It won't be. It's not one equivalence decision that covers you know, comprehensively the entire of the financial services, it would be specific for, for each section and, and for each sector even. And within the sector, there may be separate equivalence decisions to, to grant access to specific services. Ex exactly right. Exactly right. So there are some areas where there is no equivalent uh, regime. So if you look at um, uh, banking, activity so deposit taking activity there's no equivalence regime for accessing the european market for 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 banks there's no um, equivalence decision allowing uh, a sort of insurance access either there are equivalence um, decisions which apply to banking and which apply to insurance but they're not market access decisions Conversely, within the uh, investment so, so services so, field, so there that, are. So that would be specific parts of banking would be allowed if you know a decision is granted to enter the EU, but not the entire banking sector. C correct. So if you're a if you're a bank that carries on deposit taking activity and investment business, there is an equivalence decision that can be made in respect of investment business. So if there is, if the UK is deemed to be equivalent for investment business then that would give market access for investment business for UK banks, but it wouldn't give market access for deposit-taking activities. So you're absolutely right. This is a very fragmented um, framework of lots of different equivalence decisions, some of which give market access, some of which don't, and some areas where there is no possibility of an equivalence decision because it simply doesn't exist in the European legislation. So the UK, so I think it's important to stress that these equivalence decisions are unilateral so it would the, the two the two parties wouldn't have to come to an agreement and exchange you know say okay i'll i'll, I'll give you access to my asset management sector or, or whatever or these these parts of it and you'll do the same it it, it one party can do it unilaterally C correct and the, the the european union was very clear throughout the process of negotiating the uh, the uh, ultimate um, Brexit relationship agreement that um, uh, decisions on equivalence were autonomous decisions of the European Union and the same would be true for the UK in reverse. Politically, of course, it's possible for the parties to say, I will treat you as equivalent in this area if you treat me as equivalent, but there is no legal requirement for that to be the case. Because the UK has been quite generous in that uh, field. It, it has granted access to a lot of EU financial services sectors, specifically asset management, which which is what we're covering at Wealth Manager. We, we've covered extensively that the UK has waived through about 9,000 EU-based funds to be sold to UK investors without the EU reciprocating that or saying it will ever reciprocate that. And, and it has done the same with insurance and also other parts of the financial services sector. Was this a smart move? I, I mean, my personal view is I think it is the right move. Um, I think it's, it, it makes sense for the UK to be an open market from that perspective um, uh, and to be open to cross-border financial services 
business. The UK is an international financial services centre and um, restricting uh, international access to the UK for the use of the UK market infrastructure um, or dealing with UK financial services institutions and equally selling financial services products to UK consumers is not in the UK's interest. And obviously, I'm sure there's a, a hope that that degree of openness would also facilitate um, a, an equivalent degree of openness, if you like, from the European Union. Um, however, there is no guarantee that that will be the case. Uh, and, and even if it isn't, I still think it makes sense for the UK to be an open market. I think it's fair to say the UK has shown some good goodwill here. Why, why is the EU not reciprocating? I think the short answer is the EU is still very much waiting to see where the balance of advantage lies. Um, obviously, you know, there is a, a, a hope, uh, I think, in many uh, EU circles that um, the UK leaving the uh, EU will provide a benefit and advantage to EU-based financial services business um, and that allowing access to that market by UK firms um, is going to undermine the move or the push to grow that EU financial services sector. Um, so I think for the EU's perspective, it, it, it makes sense for them to, to, to sit it out and, and see how things develop. I also think that, that they will want, as they've said, to wait to see how the UK regime develops um, uh, uh, over the next few months and years. But, but that, that, that may take years. So, I mean, the, the changes will not happen overnight, of course, in, in the UK, whatever changes that, you know, could happen in, in the financial services regulation sector, which is what they use interested in. Could they? I mean, even if they wait for two years and they say, "Okay, that's fair enough," then the next month something could change. How long would they you wait to see if they feel comfortable that that the UK is still sticking by the rules? Yeah, I mean, it's a good the, the point. The rules that the EU considers important, at least. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point, and 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 how long they will wait to make a decision, um, I think, is is very much a, a, an open question. Uh, I mean, my my sense is they will want to see what the UK does um, over the next few months. Um, clearly, the UK has has made the UK government has made some statements um, around looking at at areas that they may choose to diverge from from the EU regime. Um, and indeed, you know, if if Brexit is to have any uh, meaning in some ways, the ability to diverge is 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 surely one of those. And I think from the EU's perspective they will want to see what the direction of travel is. I mean, recognizing the fact, of course, that um, those changes won't happen very quickly, but at least it may become clear as to what the UK's direction of travel is. And does it look like the UK intends to diverge materially um, in important areas, which would, um, which would suggest to the EU that um, it should not be granting equivalents uh, anytime soon? Do we do we have any idea what the UK is negotiating right now? Because they're, they're in talks. They say they will issue a memorandum of understanding by March. Do we have any idea what these talks are about? Uh, I mean, I think beyond the um, objective of negotiating the memorandum of understanding and the transparency framework, uh, it's not clear what other areas they may be they may be discussing. I mean, the process. Uh, for looking at equivalence decisions has been ongoing. 
Um, if you may recall, there was a, a an earlier obligation to um, deliver the materials necessary for the assessments of equivalents by last summer, um, by I think the end of June last summer, and those uh, materials, those questionnaires that were provided um, uh, by the EU to the UK to complete, to allow it to do its equivalence assessments, they were returned to the EU and the EU is still in the process of, of reviewing those. Um, but whether that means there's an active negotiation, um, I think is unclear. So what should we be expecting to see in March? Um, I think we'd be expecting to see, assuming the timeline doesn't slip, um, hopefully um, a memorandum of understanding which contains a clear framework um, for um, future um, interaction and cooperation between the UK and the EU on financial services because leaving aside the whole question of equivalence given the degree of interconnectedness between the two markets and between financial services companies I think it's important for there to be a, a framework for future dialogue um, between the UK so, can, and can the we EU. can we define framework a bit more um, specifically in this um, occasion what, what exactly does it entail so I think I think framework would be what are, what are the what are the bodies what are the institutions um, that will um, that will interact with each other you know, will we set up a, a separate body of UK EU financial services oversight, if you like? Um, so I think the sort of institutions, um, it will be important to pinpoint what the institutions are. I think it will be important to, uh, to pinpoint the topics that will be for discussion um, in that framework. I think it'll be important to, as far as possible, have a clear set of procedures around things like equivalence decisions so that parties will have some degree of certainty as to what the timing for an equivalence decision might be, what the process the parties would go through would be, and almost more importantly, what would happen if equivalence decision is going to be withdrawn, i.e., you know, what is the time frame for doing that? What is the prior notification that one party would have to give to the other if it was um, if it was considering removing a, an equivalence decision? I think it's important at this uh, stage to stress, and I'm sorry to interrupt, that the EU can withdraw equivalence decisions, that the, the, the equivalence decisions is not something that, that specific to the UK. The, the EU can issue equivalence decisions with any country, any third country with, with uh, which it has some sort of cooperation in financial services. I think it's important to stress that they can be withdrawn with little or, or uh, no notice, which... I assume is something that the UK might might want to talk about. Correct. So I think the sort of and the timeframes are slightly different depending on the the, the particular decision. But uh, the shortest time frame is is effectively thirty days. Which, if you are conducting cross border business um, with clients, having to stop that on thirty days' notice is is pretty disruptive. Now, whether as a practical matter. You know, a party would really withdraw on 30 days' notice. I think is is debatable, but nonetheless, that's that's the time frame that would be allowed. Now, one of the things which the MOU and this framework might cover is, for example, a political agreement that um, equivalence decisions would not um, be withdrawn on 30 days' notice, or that there would be uh, and that there would be a longer notification process. So that parties, private parties, financial services firms would have the ability to make the adjustments that they would need to do um, in advance of an equivalence decision being withdrawn. So, 
how long do you think it will take before these decisions are some of them are are issued i mean for some, not not for everything but for some part of financial services um it's a very difficult question to answer i mean we 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 have we have um equivalent decisions already in relation to the ability of UK-based um, central counterparties like uh, LCH, etc., to continue to provide services to EU-based clients. That, that equivalence decision was made because um, uh, uh, it, was, it was clearly a, a matter of financial stability to allow EU um, firms to continue to clear through the UK CCPs. Um, so it was clearly in the EU's benefit to have that equivalence decision made. Um, I think the speed with which other decisions are made will depend upon um, the extent to which the EU sees that there is a need or an advantage to them in in having those equivalence decisions um, determined. And and it's it's difficult to say, you know, quite how quickly that will come, or indeed what areas um, that they will consider that that advantage sits. Can can a comprehensive deal? for financial services access like the one we had before brexit be reached again i mean in, in, in obviously in theory uh it could be i think the likelihood of that happening um in the in the in the near term um is really very remote i mean i think the eu was very clear from a relatively early stage that the only thing on offer for financial services was use of the existing equivalence framework the UK would be treated in this respect like any other third country and its access to the single market for financial services would depend upon equivalence. To go beyond that um, to a comprehensive deal giving market access would be really quite a material move from the EU's stated position and, and would effectively be um, a new treaty covering financial services, which is possible, um, but it's not something which appears to be uh, on the table or indeed likely to be on the table um, anytime soon. Can another destination ultimately replace the city? I mean, this is one of the sort of, uh, to, to a certain extent, inbuilt advantages that the UK has. There's such a concentration of uh, financial services firms, expertise, capital, etc., that, um, uh, uh, you know, it take, it'll take quite a long time for that capability to be built up elsewhere in a European financial centre. Um, and furthermore, there isn't a single obvious single centre to, to rival um, uh, 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 the city. Um, there are financial services centres across Europe, um, but none quite caters for the range of business that the UK has. And, and what we have seen is that actually different centres have become um, destinations for different types of financial services business. So we've seen a lot of trading venues, for example, being established uh, in the Netherlands. We saw quite a few banks uh, going, to, um, going to Frankfurt, for example. We've seen a reasonable amount of investment fund, investment firm business going to Luxembourg and Ireland and to a certain extent Paris. So what you have is a number of different centres that, that are, um, if you like, benefiting um, from Brexit, but no obvious single centre which quite pulls the different 
um, uh, uh, parts of the financial services sector and indeed related professional services um, like law, we, like accountancy, etc. Not not in a single location. Should we be optimistic for the future? Uh, I think we should always try and be optimistic because the alternative is is obviously um, is obviously to be is obviously to be pessimistic. Um, and um, for a whole variety of reasons, that's that's not not a great way to to to, to live your life. I mean, you know, uh, leaving the single market uh, is a big change for the UK and particularly for UK financial services. I mean, the the single market, I think, actually, despite all its um, its its issues, worked quite well for financial services. The mutual recognition of licensing um, was a great advantage um, the ability to do cross-border services uh, without having to get separate licenses was it was a big advantage and the UK and UK financial services will have to get used to that um, position where they don't have that same access anymore but equally you know the the UK is an international financial center and an awful lot of business is done that is not um, EU focused um, and the city has shown itself capable of adjusting to significant um, challenges and, and issues in the past and I'm, I'm sure that it will it will do so again. James, thank you very much. Not at all, thanks very much.